Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another edition of the Pro Wrestling Index, part of the AI channel of podcasts. I am Matt Topolsky, and as always, I am glad to have with me my color commentator, my co-host extraordinaire, Mo Chatra. Mo, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. I'm looking forward to recording this again. Had a great time last week, and uh, once again, there's plenty to talk about. Absolutely. There's always plenty to talk about in the world of sports entertainment. Which, um, after last week's episode, extremely unpredictable. You know, we, we wrapped up that podcast and then, um, just seconds after that, we found out about the, uh, the untimely passing and the unfortunate news about Rowdy Piper. So you just never know, Mo. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these things just come out of the blue and yeah, just hit everyone for six. And uh, it was a massive, massive story as well, you know, for days afterwards. And, you know, as we saw at UFC 190, um, Ronda Rousey, um, first thing she said was, um, you know, dedicating the fight to uh, Brad Jordy Piper and uh, saying that she was wishing that he was watching down from heaven. So clearly he meant a lot to her and he meant a lot to many, many people from all walks of life around the world, as we've seen through various types of tributes that have been paid to Roddy Piper in the days since his passing. It's kind of incredible, you know, if you think about the, the pouring of outport, the, the outpouring of support and um and love for rowdy piper i mean i I, we've lost so many legends and so many stars in pro wrestling over the last 10 15 hell even 20 years but um i i don't i can't remember a time where we saw that much love and and you know i guess you know dusty Rhodes was was pretty on par with it but i mean rowdy piper was a really beloved figure in the community he was completely he was arguably a bigger wrestling name beyond the wrestling business than Dusty Rhodes. Obviously, Dusty Rhodes was a, a massive star in the business, an all-time great. But he didn't transcend the business in the way that Roddy Piper did. Roddy Piper did work in the movies. Um, he appeared a lot on television outside of uh, WWF programming. So he was very well known, became a household name in the 1980s. And to that generation who grew up, during that era, or who remember, remember it very, very well, Roddy Piper is synonymous with that decade. And that's that's uh, one of the great legacies that he left behind. And as we talked about last week, the WWF, the WWE, perhaps wouldn't be the promotion it is today if it wasn't for the work he did 
to hype up and to build up WrestleMania one. It was um, an event that um, he was such an integral part of, and that really paved the way for not only future WrestleManias, but for the entire direction of the WWE, which is manifested in the juggernaut that it is today. Yeah, absolutely. And and his influence and his inspiration on so many characters as well. I mean, it was even uncanny to see on Monday night, uh, Dean Ambrose has such an uncanny appearance and his mannerisms uh, to uh, to Rowdy Piper and to see him work that, that main event with the Hot Rod t-shirt on. It was, um, it kind of gave me uh, some chill bumps. So um, it was, it was a really nice and, and fitting tribute on Monday Night Raw as well. What, what did you think of the tribute that they put together? I thought it was really, really well done. The start of the show where everyone was on the stage was great. Disappointing that a small minority of fans in attendance were making noise during the 10-bell salute, but unfortunately these things happen. But the WWE, I thought, handled it tremendously well. And the only thing actually I didn't like, which some people may not agree with, is where the Miz broke character to pay tribute. I think some people think that's actually completely fine. Uh, but then for him to go from heel to making a babyface statement for about 15, 20 seconds, and then going straight back into heel mode again, just seems slightly odd. And I think the fans in attendance struggled to really understand that and didn't really react all that well to it either. So even when he paid tribute to the Hot, uh, hot Rod, it didn't quite get the reaction that a baby face would have received uh, making the same comment. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's one of the odd things about, uh, and I, we'll, we'll go into that later, but just some of the characters in the show in general, and The Miz is definitely one of them. It's kind of hard to figure out what the Miz is or where he stands. See, heel is he a face, you know, and the, the same, the same could be said about the authority sometimes as well. Well, that's right. Even in the same show, you know, they can start the show as heels and then halfway into the show, uh, you'll see a segment where they're complete baby faces. So, uh, it can be confusing for viewers. As we talked about last week, there has been a certain change in the way that heels and faces are presented and there has been a blurring of the lines and to an extent you can understand why but then it has its drawbacks as well and confusion is one of those drawbacks and uh, sometimes wrestling fans like their product to be simple and very easy to follow and uh, when you're not sure what your character stands for from one week to the next or even from one hour to the next that isn't always a good thing yeah i i couldn't agree more well uh, we, we talked a little bit about the, the general state of the business last week and obviously also covered the Hulk Hogan controversy and how WWE had, um, had dealt with that. It seems that the WWE has been moving along quite well, though, putting the Hogan controversy and incident behind them. Their, uh, their subscriber numbers, uh, have, uh, gone up considerably and their stock price as well, which, um, even closed today on the New York Stock Exchange at just short of $22 a share. What are some of the things, Mo, that you think the WWE are doing right right now to um, to get that stock price to shoot up to where it is? That stock price is very much driven by the success of the network. It's very clear that the network is currently the be-all and end-all of the WWE. And I think it's a model that the WWE has had a great amount of faith in, has really, really put everything into it. It was a huge gamble to move away from what was a very successful business model predicated on pay-per-view to move on to this network formula. And they, they gambled a huge amount of money and it could have fallen uh, completely by the wayside. It could have been a complete disaster. And say, if, for example, the numbers were at around 500,000 
rather than the 1.1, 1.2 that they were at the moment, then WWE would be in dire, dire difficulty right now. And they've managed to build up the network tremendously well by moving their pay-per-views onto the network, which has effectively killed their pay-per-view business. But the success of the network has generated a successful record-breaking quarter, over $150 million in revenue for the second quarter, sorry. And that's looking like it will make WWE's 2015 their most successful ever financial year in terms of revenue, which is a, a tremendous accomplishment uh, considering that the WWE Network is barely 16 months old. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they continue to add content regularly to that network as well. I mean, it's um, it's amazing how much content, original programming, uh, WWE is able to continue to put out. Well, I feel sorry for their staff. I mean, they must be working 24-7. And I imagine some of them have gone through divorces in the last six to nine months <laughs> because, you know, that, that schedule must be an absolute killer for everyone who's working there. Uh, so I don't envy the people who are having to pull these shows together, writing the product. And uh, that must be quite a challenge. But um, all credit to the entire team there. Uh, the WWE Network is a very, very strong, very attractive product. And for the price that you have to pay, I think it's excellent value for money. I've really got to say that. I mean, not only have you got a lot of um, archive footage from the WWE, WCW, ECW, other territories, you've also got, as you say, um, a good amount of original programming and the WWE announced last week in their conference call that they're looking to expand the variety of original programming on the network. And uh, they also mentioned that the um, Beast from the East uh, live show from Japan last July, uh, sorry, a few weeks ago, was their most uh, successful and most viewed uh, show of recent times outside of pay-per-views. So that just indicated that that's potentially another kind of um, avenue they could go down is to present enhanced house shows effectively and that's exactly what it was it wasn't a, a proper tv taping it was a house show with cameras there and it was a tremendous success and i think the wwe will look to do more of that what do you think that says about um about the product or, or what the audience is saying about the product when you see things like that or are they saying that we we'd like to see something different or is that more of an endorsement of we want more wrestling? We want more of an in-ring product that includes something other than opening a show with 25 minutes of promos. What do you think that means? Well, I think it was very interesting that uh, that show did as well as it did. I think the key reason for that was Brock Lesnar appearing on the show. If he hadn't appeared on it, perhaps the rating would have been lower. Uh, that goes almost without saying Brock Lesnar is currently their hottest in-ring star. But I do think that the WWE fan base is looking for more quality in-ring product to be presented and what they see on tv is a mixture of promos and vignettes and uh obviously very good in-ring wrestling and the in-ring product as we talked about last week has improved significantly um in the last 18 months to two years and they want more of it and that was quite clear from the the number and the success of uh, beast from the east so I think, yes, in answer to your question, they want to see more of an in-ring product presented to them. But as we also talked about last week, there is a certain point at which um, you have to draw a line. And if they're presenting, say, for example, every single house show uh, live on the WWE Network, I think that'd be complete overkill. So they're 
there is a balance to be struck. There's a balance to be achieved. Uh, but I do think that from the success of that show, there's clearly a demand there for more live programming. Yeah, absolutely. You, you um, Did you get a chance to watch Monday Night Raw uh, this week? Yes, I did, yes. And uh, I actually thought it was a very, very good show. There was a lot to admire about the show, and it certainly uh, moved things in the right direction for SummerSlam as well, which in itself is going to be a huge, huge event. You know, they, they, they had opened up Raw with um, Adrian Neville, or as they now call him, Evel Neville, the, the man Gravity <laughs> forgot. Uh, they, they, they don't use first names anymore for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But uh, sure. so they, they, they opened up with Neville versus Seth Rollins for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. The first time the WWE title has been defended on Raw in quite some time, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, I think you're right on that. That's uh, a rarity in terms of that title. Uh, Seth Rollins has been a champion for several months now, has um, not often defended that belt on that show. And unlike the other titles, such as the US title, which almost is defended on a weekly basis. So uh, it was good to um, see that title actually defended on TV. And what a title defense it was. It was one of the best matches on Raw this year. It was fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, it's one of the best I've seen on Raw in recent memory. But, you know, I, I think those are the things, in my opinion, that they have to do in order to silence some of the critics is present more of that in-ring product. Because when it looks like that, and it has that, that, that big fight feel and that importance to it. And you have two workers that have that type of chemistry and can put on a show like that. You're not going to have viewers drop off because Triple H or Stephanie McMahon failed to be on screen in the first hour. Uh, so I, I, I thought they did a fantastic job of continuing this story along with Monday Night Raw. And again, once again, the Seth Rollins character to me is just working so well as a heel. That, you, that to me, I almost wish that he, he comes out of SummerSlam somehow, some way, still carrying around that title because I feel like there's so much money to be made as long as baby faces are chasing Seth Rollins. Well, that's right. Uh, the money's all in the chase, and it's all about having a strong heel who uh, continues to defy the odds and upset the audience. And it's the audience paying money to see that heel um, eventually get defeated. And uh, that's a big reason why Ric Flair was so successful in the NWA in the uh, 1980s. Fans would pay to see even the likes of Ronnie Garvin try and dethrone uh, Ric Flair from the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And in a similar way, uh, Seth Rollins is becoming that type of character, somebody who's a fantastic worker, somebody who's got a bit of a cowardly side to him, but also has some tenacity to him as well. And when the chips are down, he does really man up and show the kind of determination he has to retain his title. And that in itself, that in itself is elevating that belt. And uh, I think he, he holds it fantastically well. And he's made for a great champion. And I've got to say, I mean, I, I watch wrestling from all around the world, not just WWE, but from Japan and um, all over. And I've got to say that, in my opinion, that man, Seth Rollins, is right now overall the single best wrestler on the planet. He's just... Fantastic. He is uh, what Lex Luger used to describe himself as. I think he is the total package. He's got everything. And, you know, there's nothing that he does which he's weak or average in. Everything he does now is good to excellent. I mean, even his promos, if you go back to his Ring of Honor days uh, several years ago, his promos were actually a major weakness. His mic work wasn't very good. But he's worked on that um, during his time in NXT 
and he came into WWE with a shield as a, a reasonable promo guy. Uh, but in the last year or two, that promo work has improved by leaps and bounds. And oh, he's actually very good, very good promo guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, exponentially. I mean, that, that promo that um, that he cut to open the show on Monday night was brilliant. Um, I mean, this yeah. this guy is getting better and better to the point where, you know, when they handed him the ball at first, you almost felt as if this was happening at WrestleMania because it would add to the shock value and it would create more possibilities for the WWE Championship. But now it almost feels to me like he has he has taken that opportunity and he has parlayed it into a position where now somebody else has to prove that they are more worthy of being given the title than he is. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think he's one of the best, if not the best worker in the world right now. And I see no reason for WWE to take that title off him and put it on anyone. No, no. In fact, it would almost feel wrong if he lost that title to John Cena. John Cena is a 15-time champion. He's been there, done that, worn the T-shirt 15 times. I think it's time for the WWE to really start elevating and properly getting behind somebody else now. And um, in my opinion, Seth Rollins is that man, absolutely. And he's somebody who I think deserves a long title run, possibly going all the way till... Uh, WrestleMania next year when it takes place uh, in Dallas. Yeah. And, you know, next week on the program, we'll we'll get into our SummerSlam predictions. But just uh, since we are on the subject, a couple of rumors which have been kind of coming out. One of them is that the winner of the John Cena-Seth Rollins matchup, because it will be for both the United States Championship and for the World Heavyweight title, will retire or hand over the United States Championship. I, I see no reason for Cena to win the championship and then hand over a U.S. title that he's spent the last five months elevating. Uh, I, I think by Seth Rollins doing this and then almost throwing down the United States title that Cena spent almost half a year elevating, it only elevates Rollins' heel status if he had the opportunity to do that. So. Well, that's a fantastic point, and I completely agree. It just add to his uh, heel character and take it up a notch or two even more um, by doing something as uh, audacious as that. But that that's a perfect scenario for the night after SummerSlam. If he retains his World Heavyweight Championship and wins the US title, is to go on Raw and say, you know what, this title is beneath me. And he throws it in the trash bin in the same way that Medusa did all those years ago at Nitro with the WWE women's belt. And that, that, that the kind of stuff that Seth Rollins should be doing. He should be doing stuff that really captures people's imagination, makes you want to hate him so much. And that's what a true heel is all about. And I like the fact that he doesn't try to be a cool heel. There's so many wrestlers over the years, uh, from the NWA on, NWO rather onwards who have tried to be that kind of cool heel. And Seth Rollins really doesn't try to be. He tries to be a proper old-school heel. In much the same way, in credit to him um, as Edge was, when he was a champion uh, until um, his unfortunate uh, retirement due to his neck injury. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, the SummerSlam weekend, obviously we all know that you know the SummerSlam event will now be a four-hour event as being promoted on the WWE Network. Do you think that that will take away from the event or do you think that it adds to it? Because we've talked about before, we both feel like Monday Night Raw being three hours is, is sort of difficult to to capture and maintain the uh, the viewer's attention span for that length of time. Do you think a four-hour event is just overkill for SummerSlam, or can they pull this thing off? 
I think they can pull it off, actually. If you look at WrestleMania over the last several years, it's been a four-hour event. And those shows have peaked and troughed in the way that you have a great match and then they'll put in something to bring the crowd down, like a Diva Six-Man or a Battle Royal or something like that. And then they'll bring the match up again with another great match. And through pacing, they've managed to deliver some fantastic WrestleManias over the years. And I think if they take the same approach and try to do the same with SummerSlam, I don't see any reason why it can't be just as good as those classic WrestleManias of recent years. So, no, I, I think they've they've got every possibility of pulling off a fantastic SummerSlam and one to remember. So, yes, three hours, four hours, I think they'll deliver. I'll tell you one thing that I am excited about is the fact that this will not be a stadium show. I'm excited about the fact that it's going to be in the Barclays Center. It seats, I think, maybe 20,000 or so. And I always feel like when you pack in a hardcore international fan base, much like the Raws the night after a WrestleMania, into an arena like that. And, and you know there's going to be folks from all over the globe traveling in for this because of the fan fest and the atmosphere that's being set up with the NXT the night prior to that and all that. It, it should be a loud, rowdy, and engaged crowd for the SummerSlam as well. That's right. Absolutely a great point. It's an event which does attract fans, the hardcore fans from all over the world. Increasingly more. In the past, it was more a case of these fans flocking to WrestleMania each year. In the last two or three years, an increasing number are now trying to get to uh, to SummerSlam. And the fact that they're going to focus the whole weekend around it and even perhaps one or two activities in the days before the weekend, it's almost going to be like uh, an equivalent of WrestleMania week. And that will in turn attract those fans from around the world. And it's those really hardcore fans that are really rabid and make so much noise on those post-WrestleMania roars and make those events so special. And I think that in the same way, they can create that same kind of atmosphere, not only for SummerSlam, but also for the Raw the next night, and even NXT take over the night before. And that is something that I want to talk about, because obviously, just announced, the NXT title will be up for grabs in a ladder match between Kevin Owens and Finn Balor. And what a main event that's going to be. A main event that, quite honestly, some could argue could main event SummerSlam itself. They, they put together a really nice card for this NXT TakeOver event the night before. And I wanted to get your thoughts on some of these um, either announced matches or predicted matches. I guess I'll, I'll start with, um, with Apollo Crews, who will be making his NXT debut uh, at the NXT TakeOver event. What, what what do you know of Apollo Crews, uh, if anything? I know that he's a former Dragon Gate uh, competitor, but uh, I don't know very much more about him than that. Well, Apollo Crews is a fantastic talent. He's a wrestler who has um, competed for a number of years around the independent circuit, as you mentioned in Dragon Gate as well, wrestler by the name of Uha Nation, which is a bit of a strange name <laughs> for a wrestler, but that's something that he decided to call himself as, and it's it's worked for him. And he's really, really coming along in leaps and bounds in the last four or five years. He's really polished himself off on the independent circuit. And he's somebody who is a rare independent talent in that he's got a lot of size. He's about six, six foot one, about 250 pounds. Um, he's got the working ability as well. So that's, that's one of the things that makes him quite a rarity from the independent circuit. A lot of the indie uh, talent, the best ones do tend to be um, perhaps a little on the short side, uh, 
bit more diminutive in nature compared to the bigger guys. But this guy can work and he's got the size and the look to match it. So he's somebody with a lot of potential. And I think the WWE does see something with him. And it's good to see at last the WWE come up with a half decent name for one of the NXT talents. <laughs> I mean, this is what you're of not biggest... sold on Finn Balor. <laughs> Well, don't get me started. <laughs> Actually, that that's not as bad as some of the other names. I mean, Adrian Neville, good grief. I mean, yeah, I can understand why they want to come up with their own names. They want to, they want to trademark the names so that those talents can't go and use them elsewhere for another company. But, I mean, is that the best they can come up with? I mean, if I gave some six-year-old kid walking down the street a piece of paper, I say, okay, come up with some random name. I'm sure they could come up with better names than the people coming up with the names in the WWE uh, department coming up with names for NXT talent. So it's good to see that there's been a slight improvement. So that's a better name. And uh, I think that this guy is one to watch out for, certainly in the last few months of 2015 and going into 2016, because he is exceptionally talented. And I think that he's certainly got a big future in the WWE. And I think that come summer of next year, he should certainly be on the main roster and he will have a lot to offer. Uh, Another one of the matches that we're going to have at the NXT TakeOver special is Samoa Joe in action against Baron Corbin. And I follow Baron Corbin for a minute now. And uh, he's one of those stars um, or one of those potentials, in my opinion, that we're we're really waiting for him to kind of take the next step. We've seen him work with Solomon Crow. We've even seen some stuff between him and Rhino. Um, but we're really waiting for Baron Corbin to take that next step. You think Samoa Joe can take him there? Or would this be an opportunity for Samoa Joe to uh, reinvent himself on WWE television, maybe get himself to the main roster at some point? It's a big opportunity for both. And be interested to see how they book this match because um, both are reasonably hot characters. They spent a lot of months uh, building up Baron and those gimmick matches where he was winning bouts within 30 seconds and the fans counting the seconds as they went by and certainly helped to get him over. And that, that seemed to have kind of tapered off slightly in the last few weeks. So he's lost a little bit of steam. Um, but that's not to say that that can't be regained with a big win over Samoa Joe. Conversely, uh, Joe's come in uh, with a, a certain reputation built up over the last 10, 12 years from Ring of Honor and then from TNA and he's certainly one of the most respected in-ring workers in the business. But he's come to WWE with a point to prove. He feels that he's somebody who deserves to be main eventing WrestleMania. He deserves to be headlining WWE pay-per-view shows for years and years. And he feels that this is the time for him to now show what he's capable of. Because don't forget, I mean, when he was in Ring of Honor, some... 10, 11 years ago, he was a peer, he was an equal to CM Punk, and they had a fantastic series together, um, some of the best matches of that era. And Punk decided to go WWE, Joe decided to go to TNA, and their fortunes since then have been quite uh, divergent. One has become a millionaire, the other one certainly hasn't. So uh, Joe certainly feels that he wants to fulfill his potential, and I don't think he feels that that ever happened in TNA and I can't blame him because the way he was booked there was just atrocious. Well, it was TNA as well. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, well, the next matchup on the rumored list is uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Jushin Thunder Liger. Think about that for a minute. We're going to see Jushin Thunder Liger on WWE programming. A former 
IWGP junior heavyweight champion and a guy who at one time was considered by Pro Wrestling Illustrated to be one of the top 10 singles wrestlers in the world. But Jushin Thunder Liger is now 50 years old, and he will be going one-on-one with a talent half his age in Tyler Breeze. What do you make of this? I mean, I was shocked when I heard that of all the talents that they were going to have from NXT go one-on-one with Jushin Thunder Liger, that it would be Tyler Breeze. What are your thoughts on this? Well, that was quite that was quite the uh, odd announcement when it was first brought onto the internet two or three weeks ago. Jushin Thunder Liger is a legend of the business. He's one of the all-time greats. He's been a top, top elite worker for over a quarter of a century. And it's amazing that he's making his debut in the WWE in this way. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Jushin Thunder Liger, a New Japan Pro Wrestling talent, is appearing on a WWE show the same night that Ring of Honor is staging a show in the same town um, in New York. And that company, Ring of Honor, just so happens to have a working agreement with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I think this is the WWE's way of just trying to um, humiliate, embarrass, if you will, the uh, Ring of Honor promotion. Not that it needs to. Ring of Honor is a mere amoeba compared to the Buffalo that is the WWE, if I can use that analogy. It's uh, no comparison whatsoever in terms of their size and scale as promotions. One is a successful but limited independent promotion. The other is a worldwide name, a worldwide brand, and uh, they're not even competition. So I don't see why they'd need to necessarily feel the need to belittle Ring of Honor. And it's got to be said that many people do see it that way, that they've only brought in Jushin Thunder Liger to send a message to Ring of Honor. But they've brought him in. Jushin Thunder Liger is a legend of the business. And whether Tyler Breeze is the right opponent for him, I don't know. I don't really see Tyler Breeze winning that contest. Tyler Breeze is, at the same time, somebody who they have been pushing in recent months. So I would have been inclined to give Jushin Thunder Liger a lesser name, opponent who they could have put on um, as a showcase match lower on the card for Jushin Thunder Liger to look good, come across as legend, whilst not necessarily burying one of their up-and-coming talents, which Tyler Breeze is. So it's a bit of a strange move on several different fronts, but um, nonetheless, it will still be an intriguing one for everyone to watch. You know, I, I got to say, I, I like I like what Triple H is doing with NXT on a number of levels, but one of the things that I really enjoy is the fact that we are mixing veteran talents with these young prospects and upstarts because they are receiving so much in the way of experience and knowledge by having the opportunity to work with a Rhino, with having the opportunity to work with a Samoa Joe, having the opportunity just to have a Jushin Thunder Liger in your locker room, even if it's for one night. I think it adds so much to what is already a very exciting product. And it's not like you see these guys around every week, but they're peppered in there just enough that it it's a little something for everybody if you're a hardcore wrestling fan. Well, that's right. That's a very good point. And um, by the same token, even if on occasion they are bringing established names from the main roster onto one of the NXT shows, especially the TakeOver events, then uh, that in the same way can also be very effective, not only for the young talent wrestling against that established name, but also for creating that extra bit of intrigue to get people to watch that show. If John Cena, for example, 
was to work the next takeover event whenever it is later in the year, then I'm sure a lot more people want to watch that show just because of John Cena. And through that, they'll be exposed to the likes of Finn Balor and uh, the Vaude Villains and all the rest of the great NXT talent. So I think it's, it's certainly a good thing for them to be doing and uh, they should be doing more of it. Uh, it's a good segue, actually, Mo, because the Vaude Villains versus Blake and Murphy for the NXT Tag Team titles, also rumored to be a part of this NXT TakeOver event. What are your thoughts on the VOD, the, the VOD villains, first of all, as a tag team? I like the gimmick. It, it's it's really good, especially the entrance with the black and white footage and everything. That, that's a really great touch. Um, as workers, I think um, they're pretty solid. Not fantastic workers by any means, but certainly in terms of their role, within the roster, on the pecking order. I think they um, are very effective in what they do. As for whether they're the calibre of uh, talent to carry those titles, well, I'd say they're no worse than the champions at the moment, Blake and Murphy. And those are two people that I just don't understand why they're the champions because they they seem like generic indie talent who are looking to get into the WWE from about 15 years ago. They've got good physiques, got the long hair, uh, but they've really got nothing much beyond that as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they're not bad workers, but they're not exciting workers. Nothing particularly different about them. If they were walking down the street, I probably wouldn't even recognize them um, because they'd be, um, they look so generic. And uh, that that's one of the kind of problems I have with Blake and Murphy. And um, I was actually disappointed when, and so Moray and Colin Cassidy didn't beat them for the titles at the last uh, takeover event back in May. So um, I think they've outstayed their welcome as far as champions. And if the Vorder Villains were to beat them, I certainly wouldn't be shedding any tears. Well, and, and also, I mean, if you look at how they were booked in the latter part of 2014, I mean, they lost multiple matches to both the Lucha Dragons and the Vod Villains. So, you know, putting the titles on them in the first place was was a curious decision to me. But one thing that I am optimistic about is with teams like the VOD Villains, you always feel like the WWE tag team circuit is in desperate need of more talent all the time. And every time, at least in my perspective, when I, I feel like, okay, the tag team division is coming back, it's coming back, and then all of a sudden you look around and you're like, well, there's really only two or three teams, you know, for the tag team champions to work. So, you know, I hope that we'll see the VOD Villains on Raw here in the future, but also, it, it seems as if some of these teams that are coming up from NXT are not exactly translating to the main roster product in the way singles competitors are. I mean, we, we, we saw it in the, uh, in the Legion of Doom slash Demolition knockoffs. And, and, and I, I don't know yeah. whether the VOD villains would work on Raw or not. Well, that's right. It's one thing for an act to work in a small setting in front of two, three, four hundred people. Um, so as well as the Ascension, another good example is, is Emma. All of the fans would dance along with her at the NXT shows and she seemed like a really over talent. When you move that onto the main roster and when she was doing the same thing on Raw or SmackDown, it wasn't halfway near as effective. And she seemed like uh, somebody who looked very out of place on those bigger shows. So it's always a risk trying to take these types of acts and these types of gimmicks um, from a smaller, more intimate type of setting in front of fans who know you uh, very intimately to that Raw or SmackDown audience where it's a very different type of crowd. But I think that if the Vaude Villains 
can be taken through to the main roster and they deserve a chance. And if the act succeeds, then um, fantastic. It'd be another fresh new act to freshen up things in the WWE tag team division. I've got to say that, I mean, I've been watching the um, build up to the eventual tag team title match at SummerSlam where we're going to have that. Oh goodness. The prime time players in the new day. Prime time players. There we go. Yes. And you know, we've had those multi-man matches. Are are you not exhausted by this at this point? These two, these two teams again, it's a bit unfortunate that having to wrestle over and over and over, but yeah, I've, I've got to admit it's something that's not something that's at the top of my agenda when it comes to watching Raw and SmackDown every week. It's something that fills the time, but at the same time, you know, compared to what the WWE tag team division was four or five years ago, it's still an improvement. That said, I think the last few months have really demonstrated just how important the Usos are. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Part of the tag team division because yes. they are such a talented duo um they're such great workers very underrated actually they don't really get the credit they deserve they regularly work good matches on tv and on on the bigger shows and with those two not being around it certainly leaves a massive void within that tag team division and um, the sooner they're back the better but uh, yeah in answer to your question um, it's nice to see something different to new day and uh, the primetime players going at it week after week is there any timetable that you've heard of on, on, on Jey Uso and when we're going to see him back in action? I mean, he, he injured that shoulder, if I'm not mistaken, at WrestleMania. And we haven't really, I mean, as far as I can tell, I haven't really seen much of him since. Well, that's right. I mean, we see his brother commentating on, um, on the uh, SmackDown show every week. And uh, there's very little mention of his brother coming back from injury anytime soon, which is a bit of a shame. And I think that uh, it could be a while yet. I mean, the prognosis was that he could be out of action for six months. And uh, that would mean that we're probably about two months away from seeing him return. But um, it could be even longer than that. These types of injuries uh, with the shoulders are uh, notoriously unpredictable in terms of the uh, time it will take to fully heal. So whilst October was 
the uh, suggestion of when he could come back when the injury first occurred. It could be, you know, another month, two months, three months beyond that. And let's hope he's not a Daniel Sturridge and just as he's about to return, then uh, he picks up another injury and he's out for another oh, two, three months. Oh, gosh, please don't get me started. I've been hearing all this stuff. I know we're not supposed to talk football on this pod, but my God, I keep hearing all this stuff about, oh, we're just a few weeks away from, oh, so it would be a fortnight and Daniel Sturridge will be back in action. I will believe it when I see it. <laughs> and even when he's back, um, I won't be getting too excited. Yes. Because, uh, you know, it's often only a matter of weeks before he gets injured can, again. Can, so. can, we get, can we get Daniel a, a kit made of bubble wrap? Perhaps, you know. Oh, that's a very good suggestion, yeah. yeah. So we should uh, email that or tweet it across to the LFC account. Yeah. Well, the main event of the NXT TakeOver event that's going to take place at the Barclays Center, if somebody had told you, Mo, a few years ago, that on WWE programming on a main event of one of their major network shows, you would see Kevin Steen versus Prince Devitt, would you ever believe it? Absolutely not. No way. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just mind-blowing. If you... As you say, take yourself back to four or five years ago. It just shows the monumental, almost paradigm shift in the WWE's entire philosophy. If you go back to WWE about 10 years, 12 years ago, when they did some of the early Tough Enoughs, they were bringing in a very particular type of wrestler, uh, sorry, a particular type of athlete or um, wannabe wrestler of a certain size, a certain look, and it was very clear which direction they were going. They didn't particularly care whether they could work or not. They just wanted them to look good. Now it's a complete 180. They care so much about them being able to go in the ring and also about them having uh, something to go with it, i.e. personality. And if they look a certain way, fantastic. If they don't, not a big deal. And we've seen that in, in, in a glorious way with Kevin Owens this year. He's the type of guy who, four or five years ago, I, I never would have thought WWE would take him on because he didn't have the physique. He didn't have fantastic height. He's only about, I think, 5'10", 5'10 And his promos at the time as well were not fantastic in Ring of Honor. He was, he was a decent promo. He was, he was not bad at all, but he was well-renowned for his in-ring work. He was a fantastic worker for Ring of Honor, even going back four or five years ago. But at that time, WWE was looking for other types of things. But Triple H has been very, very persistent in focusing NXT on what goes on in the ring and about bringing talent in who can go in the ring. And that's why he put his faith in Kevin Owens and um, he's given him a rocket up his backside because he put him over on his very first night against John Cena, which was unimaginable. Oh, my uh, God. Nobody believed it. I mean, nobody nobody could have ever believed that that would have happened. No way. No. And that's just a great example of how the WWE has changed its philosophy. And it's for the better, because as far as I'm concerned, if you can have somebody like Ronda Rousey, and you can have somebody like um, Conor McGregor, who are absolutely a world away from what WWE has always built its main events around. They are small individuals. One is a woman. The other one is a featherweight Irish fighter. And they have become two of the biggest pay-per-view draws in the world in the last two years, almost out of nowhere again. But it's because they've got fantastic talent and fantastic personalities. And they've got amazing charisma. 
And I think that's what Triple H realizes that it's not about them being six foot two, 250 pounds and 10% body fat with 21 inch arms. No longer is that the case. Now it's about being going, being able to go in the ring, having that personality, being able to talk in the mic and um, being able to relate to the audience and the audience being able to relate to them. And that's why I think somebody like Kevin Owens has gotten over. And I think that's why Finn Balor is going to become a huge, huge star in the WWE when he debuts in the main ro- main, ro- main roster. And that's only a matter of time. Um, you know, you bring up an interesting point, Mo, because it looks like there is a significant paradigm shift in where the WWE has begun sourcing its talent, how it cultivates that talent once they find it. And what I mean is that the majority of the new stars which are coming into WWE are already made talent from the indies. You know, we can look at um, Prince Devitt, a.k.a. Finn Balor, Neville, a.k.a. Pac, Kevin Owens, a.k.a. Kevin Steen, um, even Hideo Itami. And yet we have things in the WWE universe like Tough Enough. <laughs> <laughs> which just makes me want to slam my head against the wall. And the reason why is because if you were just being honest with me and you said, here's what we're going to do. We're World Wrestling Entertainment, and we're going to have a game show. And on the game show, we're going to have people run around and do tricks and competitions. And at the end of that game show, someone is going to win an honorary WWE contract. I would say, fine. That sounds like something I might watch when I'm bored. But instead, we have this new version of Tough Enough in which winners and losers are chosen by the audience and not by the judges themselves who only have the power to save people from being eliminated. And yet WWE continues to tell us that this competition is a legitimate competition to find, in their own words, the next WWE star. What do you think of this show? Because I have my own opinions on it, but I'd like to, I'd like to get yours first on this. <laughs> Okay, where do we begin? <laughs> this is, I think, a concept which, if it's done right, it can actually, it can actually be quite entertaining as a series on its own. And could also, if it's done right, uh, unearth one or two talents who could make it in the WWE at some point in time. I think it's just been a complete disaster though. This whole series has just been, this whole season rather, has just been a mess. They, picked a lot of people that i don't think they should have picked and looking at those videos in the raw monday night raws leading up to the debut of tough enough i was actually thinking actually yeah this this actually might be quite good some of these videos are not too bad some of the people that are appearing on these look like they might have something about them albeit we're only seeing them for five seconds or ten seconds but immediately they stuck out from uh, the tv screen i thought yeah there's something about this person nearly all of those people i've never seen again um the 14 or so characters that they've ended up with, I'm sorry, the 13 originally um, at the start of the season were in many cases people who had no personality or no athletic ability. And I just wondered why they're here. And as the weeks have gone by, I still haven't gotten answers to most of those. The one person that really stuck out uh, to me was uh, Madder, who went out last week. He was somebody who had a bit of size, personality, could talk on the mic. So, of course, they got rid of him. And everyone else just lacks some very fundamental thing, which makes me think they'll never have a hope in hell of ever becoming 
a true WWE superstar. And I think that that's so obvious now as we're down to our final six. You've got CZ, who oh god <laughs> has personality, has a unique way of talking his own Louisiana way, but uh, beyond that, he really has nothing to offer. You've got Tanner, who's got the personality of a wet sponge. You've got Sarah Lee, who's got even less personality and even less talent than Tanner. Um, you've got Josh, who makes you know uh, weird noises, um, but that's about the only <laughs> positive thing you could say about him, other than he's got, I suppose, good size, but uh, whether he can translate that to uh, good athleticism and eventually to become a good worker, I highly doubt. Uh, Gigi, who's got nothing going for her beyond her looks, and um, Amanda, who's more plastic than the biro I've got in my hand right now. So you've got a very strange bunch of people that are now left on the show. And um, the whole format of the show as well is is bizarre in that they've got all of these clips of these people uh, working out, doing t- tasks and activities and interacting in the house. And um, a lot of it is very e-network type segments or very contrived looking where they're looking to... Uh, create conflict between the characters, especially the girls, um, at every opportunity. So that's all fine. But then when they're mixing it with stuff that's in the studio, that's live, it's a bit of a weird mishmash. And it is almost as if they weren't too sure exactly how to format the show and present the show. And I think that confusion has resulted in a very incoherent and very uh, strange strange show and i think they've got to go back to the drawing board if we have another season of this and come up with something a lot tighter and a lot better and certainly they've got to come up with a much better attempt at casting for the show as well because i think the 13 that they chose have mostly been awful yeah uh, i listen i couldn't agree more I, i i wrote down a couple of names of some of the most successful contestants athletes or superstars, which they grew into, that came from Tough Enough Pass. The Miz being one, Cameron, if you remember Maven, Nydia, Ryback, who at that time I believe was Skip Sheffield, Chris Nowitzki, Matt Morgan, who eventually went on to TNA, and even John Morrison. Of all the folks that are on this list, you could choose any one of them in the briefest stint that they had in WWE. There's not a contestant on this show from the moment it began to who is left that even comes close to scratching the surface of talent of that list that I just read. What really frustrates me is that we talk about all of this fantastic talent that exists out there in the indies, and we could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. We could do podcasts just on undiscovered talent. And yet, WWE puts together a show which they claim is a talent search to find the next WWE star, and this is what we get. We get people like ZZ, who Billy Gunn got in his ass on the show uh, a few episodes ago because the kid refused to work on his cardio. Now, I mean, it's one thing to lack a passion for the business. It's another thing altogether to not even do the cardio or even engage in exercise, which is uh, rudimentary. To being a professional athlete and a sports entertainer in general. I mean, it just, it seems to me as if these contestants don't even have a passion for this. Why even be on the show? And I found out that ZZ, this is his, his third reality show appearance. Really? Yes. So this, this entire thing just seems completely contrived to me. Well, yeah. I mean, most of the characters that have appeared on the show 
seem to be on there purely to get on TV. And that's very evident with many of the people that are on there. They've got very little interest in wrestling. They've got very little knowledge about wrestling. And that's why I found it a bit surprising that um, when Patrick was bringing that up, as I thought quite a valid point, uh, perhaps he was overdoing it, but it was still a valid point nonetheless, that the number of the people that he was sharing the house with seemed to not only know hardly anything about the business, but also seemed to have very little interest in the business as well. And uh, that's certainly come across very loud and clear. And um, that, 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 that's just one of those things which makes the show so poor in terms of how it comes across. Because if you were doing that type of show um, in any other type of industry, whether it's music or acting or other types of reality contests where somebody's trying to become a professional in something, they're not going to stand there and say, oh, actually, I've got no interest in res- in music or I've got no interest in acting. They're going to try and come across as extremely enthusiastic. So by putting all these people that are apathetic towards professional wrestling or sports entertainment on this show, in a way, is actually burying the business itself. So it's self-defeating completely, I think. And I, I feel that the whole concept really needs to be reevaluated if they are going to bring it back again yeah i i couldn't agree more i mean and and the show itself is is almost completely unwatchable you know so yeah yeah i mean i've got to say that Paige is somebody i've been a big fan of uh, you know certainly since she um ended up in the wwe and followed her career from before when she was working here in the uk and uh, i was delighted for her when she ended up first of all signing for nxt and then debuting last year, and what an appearance, what a debut it was on the Raw after WrestleMania last year, and uh, she became a huge favourite. But um, there's a, sort of a backlash that's now begun because of the way she comes across on NXT. So, no, sorry, on, on Tough Enough. And not only is it um, a poor show, period, but it's also affecting the popularity of one of their few divas who was somewhat over. So I don't think it's good even in that regard. So they've got to be careful about how they're presenting not only the people that are auditioning on the show, but even their judges as well, because uh, that can also have an undesired effect or for the sake of trying to create conflict and controversy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's turn the page a little bit to uh, to something a little bit more positive and more professional wrestling based. Let's talk briefly about uh, Global Force Wrestling and TNA and, and where you see them in the future. You know, Back in June, Jeff Jarrett actually did a um, did an interview for Rolling Stone magazine in which he talked about Global Force Wrestling, and they had asked him point blank, when it comes to Global Force Wrestling, what does success mean to you? And he said, uh, it's the same as in any business. Uh, success is defined by whether you're profitable or not. So since they've done their Grand Slam tour, uh, where they've toured some minor league ballparks around the United States and... Um, I think they've done maybe one or two arena shows as well. Uh, certainly, the the brand awareness is a little bit stronger than it was before, but they they, they did they haven't been drawing tremendous crowds. What, what do you think the future holds for for Global Force Wrestling and, and Jeff Jarrett's ambitions? Well, I don't think the future is very bright at all. <laughs> Sorry okay. to say negative. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, Jeff Jarrett launched his promotion after leaving TNA. He had a big falling out with Dixie Carter last year. So this promotion is now being talked about. It's been officially announced for some 16 months. I think it was April of 2014 
when yes. Jeff Jarrett first announced yeah, his company. Yeah, matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, he said that he had a big announcement coming um, the night of or the night after WrestleMania 30. So, yes, correct. Um, so he was piggybacking off of that. That's right. Since that announcement, there's been virtually nothing for the best part of a year until it was announced, okay, we're going to be doing some shows. Uh, we'll eventually be doing some TV tapings, which is all great, except we haven't got a TV deal. So this is really one of the most bizarre wrestling promotions of all time because they've been around and existed, if you can use the word existed, for some 16 months. They've run about five or six shows with hardly anyone paying to get into these shows. Um, the shows themselves have not been of an exceptional quality by any means. They've now almost given up on trying to establish themselves as a promotion, despite having recently done some TV tapings and are aiming to try and hawk these two TV networks. And I don't think they have any success with that. So what they've done as a result of that is go back to TNA and say, let's work an interpromotional angle. So Jeff Jarrett uh, returned to Impact shortly before Slammiversary and um, set the seeds in place to create this rivalry between the two groups. And um, since then, obviously, he's been announced as the commissioner of um, of TNA, which in itself is interesting because Bully Ray was announced for that position just uh, a few weeks ago. But within a couple of weeks of that announcement, he decided to quit TNA because he came back, saw what an absolute shambles TNA is in, and thought, right, I've got better things to do with my life than work in this type of environment. So he left and they've decided, okay, let's give the role to Jeff Jarrett. The long-term prognosis for not only Global Force Wrestling, but TNA is not very good at all. TNA, it was announced earlier in the year within insider circles, was that um, their TV deal with Destination America, which is a network that now has impact, that deal will not be renewed once it ends next month, I believe. Where TNA goes from there is anyone's guess. Many people expect TNA to still try and um, continue. They've taped TV in the oh, last couple of weeks. Yeah, all the way up to Bound for Glory. I think they have they have TV taped all the way up to that time. So they were taping in bulk. That's right, yes. Yeah. I mean, they were taping several weeks each night for a good five or six nights. And you know, they've got plans to do something big at Black Bound for Glory. But it's just a company that is so dead. It's just deader than dead, deader than a dodo. And I just don't see what purpose it even serves. I mean, and it, it pains me to say this because I was so invested in TNA when it first launched. I was watching their weekly pay-per-views when it first came about in 2002. And even though their product was variable in terms of its quality, they did some very good stuff alongside some stuff that was atrocious. Uh, I don't know if you remember a gimmick called the Johnsons, but let's not get into that. And that was a company that I really had high hopes on, especially as it came not long after the uh, demise of WCW and ECW. And I thought there's a massive, massive gap in the wrestling um, industry for a promotion like this, if they play it right, they can become huge and not necessarily huge uh, to compete with the WWE, but huge in the sense that they can become a full-time touring promotion that can give wrestlers an alternative, a viable alternative to the WWE. So if things don't work out for them there, they can go to TNA. And for a time, it was that type of promotion in 2005, 2006, 2007. Creatively and commercially, it was actually a very good promotion. 
But it all started going wrong, funnily enough, when they decided to bring likes of Hulk Hogan in. Now, even though Hulk Hogan is the most famous wrestler of all time, he, he really didn't add much to the TNA product during his time there. Their pay-per-view business just plummeted and died. Um, their house show business plummeted and died. And um, TV ratings, after a small increase, um, then started to go into decline, and he walked out of there. And TNA financially was in a severely poor state when he left. And so you've got to ask yourself, was that the best thing to do? And I'd argue certainly not. So it, it's uh, it's disappointing for me that that company is in the state it's in, and uh, I blame Dixie Carter for that because I've I've followed Dixie Carter's career um, during her time in TNA, and it's so clear as light and day that she is completely, completely incapable of running that promotion effectively. She doesn't know the difference between good wrestling and bad wrestling, and the fact that she kept Vince Russo in charge of that com- uh, promotion in terms of its booking for so many years and even allegedly lied to Spike TV about employing that individual um, just speaks volumes about her ability to judge talent who can then run the promotion on the creative end. And I think that that was the biggest mistake she made. And by the time she realized her mistake, the damage was done and TNA itself was damaged goods. Well, you know, and and you talk about a lot of the rumors and, and things that she allegedly may or may not have done. Uh, it's it's pretty well documented, especially through the dirt sheets and through the rumor circles and through members of um, of the professional wrestling and sports entertainment community who have worked there or who have known people who have worked there. That um, many members of the staff, pro wrestlers, production have gone sometimes weeks, if not months, where they have worked and have not been paid for their work. And um, and this is an issue that didn't just crop up in the last six months. This is something that has been plaguing TNA for years, which when you consider the fortune that exists behind this company, um, the family fortune, it, it's it's almost incomprehensible that something like that would be happening. And, and, and it, to me, says that the writing has been on the wall for years, that this experiment known as uh, TNA was just not going to work out. Well, that's right. That's a good point. And you're very right to raise... Pandarenji and uh, the Dixie Carter uh, wider family, they have vast resources. They've got a lot of money. And I think it's very telling that at no point has that family ever brought Dixie Carter into the uh, energy business uh, to work alongside them. I think that TNA is their rather expensive diversion for uh, that particular family member to keep her well away from the business that uh, has made that family so successful. And I think that that might be something that um, some fans of Dixie Cart may uh, find quite an objectionable opinion, but I, I think that that's absolutely true because why else would they not bring that family member in? It's a family business. They've got members of the family who operate at different levels within that company, and um, it's a very successful business, and yet they don't let Dixie Cart anywhere near it. And, you know, they've lost a lot of money on TNA over the years, and the fact that they are no longer putting their hands in their pocket to bankroll TNA, I think, does speak volumes because at certain points, certainly before they ended up on Spike TV with Impact, they were putting a lot of money into TNA to keep it afloat. And the fact they're not willing to do that now tells me, suggests to me, that it's only a matter of time before 
TNA eventually goes away of WCW and ECW. And it's a shame. It's a real shame because uh, wrestling needs that really strong, vibrant, viable second promotion in the United States. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it is TNA. Maybe it'll be another promotion to fill that void. Um, but TNA, I think its days are numbered. Well, you know, I, I don't know that this will be a promotion that will, will sort of rise to that level, but I do like what they are doing. And uh, they had a, a, a very, a very good season finale, if you will, which received a lot of praise on Twitter, including from uh, WWE Hall of Famer Stone Cold Steve Austin. But that's Lucha Underground. Um, I don't know if you've been following Lucha at all, but I really like what they did in their first season. It feels a lot different than any other wrestling product we've seen before. I like the in-ring work. I certainly like the uh, the female athletes and uh, female stars they have on the show. Uh, I, I just it's a it's a great program in my opinion, and I, I hope we see another season of it. Have you have you seen it all, Mo? Yeah, I've been following Lucha Underground. Um, I missed the first few episodes, but I've watched every episode from about um, December through till um, about June. I've got to catch up on my last few weeks um, in the next couple of days. And obviously they had their big finale last night, I believe. That's been one of the wrestling shows of the year, in my opinion. It's such a refreshing, original, innovative product. I really love the presentation of it. And in fact, you know, presentation is one of my big bugbears of of WWE Raw. Even though in recent weeks I think it's actually been a pretty good show, there's the inherent thing that that's a product in terms of the way it's presented that hasn't changed for a good 15, 16, 17 years. They've got the big screen, they've got the big stage, it's all the same camera angles, they've got the backstage segments, um, you've got the commentators at ringside. Freshen it up, do something different. Put the commentators um, near the stage and uh, come up with a different, a completely different kind of staging environment and then film it differently. Make the whole graphics look different to how they've been. The graphics have not changed significantly over the last 10, 12 years either. Uh, I mean, that that's a, perhaps an, another discussion for another show. Um, but that's what's one of, that's one of the things that attracts me to Lucha Underground because the way that whole, uh, concept is presented is so refreshing and um, it's so much like a drama in a way in the way that the backstage segments and the storylines are presented almost like um, some kind of series that you have to follow from one week to the next and interspersed with that is some great consistently great wrestling matches and some of the talent they've got on there would certainly not be a miss um, within the WWE they'd certainly fit in perfectly well i can tell you and um one of the highlights for me has been uh, a former wwe wrestler um john morrison who absolutely is known as johnny mundo he's a fantastic talent and um he's improved actually since he was in the wwe and he was very very good when he was there and if there's anybody who does it in the whole wrestling business who's ex wwe who deserves to be brought back it's that it's that gentleman right there because um he's so talented and he has got um, talent in abundance and uh, his whole unique character and his ring work would be a perfect fit for somebody like NXT as that kind of veteran performer to elevate the younger talent as they come through. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, it's been nice to see uh, some glimpses of Alberto El Patron, a.k.a. Alberto Del Rio as well, and in, in more of his in more of his element 
where you know some of the gimmickiness is is gone, if that makes any sense. I, I was always a huge fan uh, of his and his work, so it's been good to see him on the program as well. And you know, uh, Lucha Underground has actually um, been nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Structured Reality Programming here in the U.S. So no, really, yes, yeah. So, uh, wow. I mean, it, they they really are attracting the attention of a lot of people outside just this industry um, because of the way the program is shot, and the way it's structured, and the, uh, the 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 love and care that goes into the product. So, um, it's very different and uh, a breath of fresh air, which is something I think we both agree is a good thing for the business. That's right. Yeah, as I say, the whole presentation of it is very different to how wrestling has ever been presented as far as i can remember and it's good that they're getting some recognition for that and one other thing that on the subject of recognition i'd just like to yes. uh, raise is a talent by the name of and angelico angelico um he's a south african wrestler who's been uh regular on lucha underground and they sorry the wwe developmental uh producers recently attended a pro wrestling gorilla show in california um in the last couple of weeks and one of the talents that they spotted and they really really were impressed was angelico and um, he's really shone in lucha underground he's been a sensation a real breath of fresh air and he's a great daredevil type wrestler comes out with all kinds of crazy moves and stunts and in fact i tweeted one of his spots where he hit one of the most amazing missile drop kicks from about 20 feet drop, uh, it was just crazy. One of the most insane high spots all year. And um, he's a fantastic talent. He's somebody who I predict could well be um, taken on by the WWE and appearing on NXT in the next few months. Awesome. Well, Mo, next week on the program, we are going to break down our SummerSlam predictions in what feels like the summer version of WrestleMania. So uh, I'm excited about it, though. Generally, I'm excited about it. A lot of times I'm pessimistic about a four-hour show, but um, I have high hopes for this. Well, yes, I do as well. As I mentioned earlier, they do tend to get WrestleMania right. When the big occasion comes, they deliver. And if they really put their minds and their focus on making SummerSlam a special event and making it a success at four hours, then I'm sure they'll get it done. But one of the, th- the key things that they've got to remember is is that, um, as you said earlier, this will be in a very different environment to WrestleMania. It won't be a big stadium show with 60,000, 70,000 people there. It'll be a, a smaller audience of fifteen to 20,000, and it'll be their hardcore fan base predominantly that will be filling the arena. And um, they are certainly less forgiving of poor in-ring products. So they've got to make sure that the whole show He's very seamless and very consistent in quality from beginning to end. Otherwise, um, it won't be long before they start shitting all over any kind of uh, subpar performances. Oh, gosh, it's going to be a hostile environment for John Cena that night. (laughs) (laughs) Poor John. I mean, (laughs) it's um, it it can't be easy being him. I I know he laughs it off and tries to pretend like it doesn't really bother him, but He's one of the WWE's hardest working guys, if not the hardest working. And to get so little recognition at these types of shows, which are, as we said, attended predominantly by their hardcore 
male fan base who are between the ages of you know early twenties into their forties, um, and they predominantly hate John Cena. And uh, I think though there'll be a happy ending for him in the in the future that when he turns heel, those same fans that boom, I think will cheer him. And when all is said and done, when his career eventually comes to an end, I think those same fans will recognise what an exceptional talent he is and his contribution to the business. And I think, as you mentioned last week, he will go down as one of the, if not the greatest WWE superstars of all time. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, another great podcast, my friend. Do you have anything uh, you want to let the listeners know about or, or plug before we uh, we settle in for the day? Well, I just want to let everyone know of my Twitter account again. It's uh, at Mochatra, M-O-C-H-A-T-R-A. Once again, I tweet about wrestling and mixed martial arts all the time, and I've always got a lot to say, as you've just heard over the last hour. So uh, by all means, check my views out and uh, throw any comments you like back in my direction. And uh, if you've got any questions, Matt and I can certainly look to answer those uh, for you next week. Awesome. Well, uh, I want to thank uh, once again Gags for giving us this opportunity to um, to do the pod each and every week on the on the AI Podcast Network, and uh, you can follow along on the official Twitter for the show for the Pro Wrestling Index at PW underscore Index. That's at P, uh, PW underscore Index on Twitter. You can also follow along on my official Twitter at Matt M A T T T O P. O-L-S-K-I, very Polish. Uh, follow along on Twitter as well. And I uh, just want to let everybody know, uh, Reality of Wrestling, the company that I'm a part of, we have a big show coming up this weekend in Texas. And uh, in the next few weeks, those episodes from that event will start airing. Uh, and as a matter of fact, in addition to uh, WWE Hall of Famer Booker T being a part of the program, uh, WWE Hall of Famer Lita will be on the show as well. So, um, wow. Yeah, so we're very excited to show everybody what we're doing down here in Texas, and uh, I hope you all will tune in for that. You can find out more by going to uh, realityofwrestling.com for all the updates, and who knows, maybe one day we'll make a trip across the pond, Mo. That would be awesome. We'll be happy to host you here, definitely. Yeah, cool deal. All right, well, thank you, my friend. We're back next week with our, our summer sound predictions. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.